Nima Well, thank you very much again to our uh, wonderful uh, musicians. It's been great to sing uh, together. Uh, it's good to encourage each other as preachers. I want to encourage uh, my uh, fellow speaker, uh, Jonty. Uh, I'll take back many things from what you have said. You're a great storyteller and a great way to teach us how to teach stories. You're also a singing preacher. Uh, we've heard um, an excerpt from Les Mis, uh, two nursery rounds. If you weren't here yesterday, you need to get copies of these nursery rhymes, and uh, I think we'll all remember that. And we even heard a little ditty today uh, from you. But I think my biggest encouragement to you is, and you were talking about how as preachers we need to uh, be careful that we don't succumb to the stresses of ministry and turn faithfulness into a grind. I think we can all understand how that can happen. And one thing that really struck me listening to John T is that he really loves Jesus. And it's very important that our congregations hear our affection for Jesus and hear our affections for him and hear our laments. And when we struggle appropriately, you know, you can say far too much to a congregation. You can unload too much, and I think that's not appropriate, but it's equally inappropriate to unload nothing to them, nothing to them. So thank you, uh, John T. Now, a question that I'm sure we'll discuss uh, later on, and one that we have wrestled with in our prep, is it okay to take Daniel and reconstruct it in the way that we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, three to 12 is the chapters. It is one coherent revelation. We've taken one to six and we've paralleled that with seven to 12. Why has the book of Daniel been structured the way it has? I think it's plausible that the book of Daniel has been split one, six, seven to 12 on the basis of the nature of the literary genre in question. So narrative, not entirely. You get apocalyptic in chapter 2, in chapter 4, in chapter 5. But effectively, events that happened during the exile, Daniel 1, uh, 605 BC, Daniel 6, 539 BC, the end of the uh, exile. And then in chapter 7 to 12, 1, 2, 3, 4 visions that happened through the... And what's happened is the author of the book, Daniel, um, we know it's Daniel because Jesus said it was, um, and Daniel says, I, Daniel, all the way through. They've decided to put the events in one half and the visions in the other. Now, I, I want us to just think about, is it okay, therefore, for us to do what we've done? I started off when we agreed to do it this way, thinking it wasn't, but we're doing it because it's a conference, so it's fine. But I am becoming increasingly persuaded that it's actually helpful and is it wrong to do that with the Bible? We've got to be very careful. But we wouldn't be concerned, I think, from going from Daniel to Ezekiel to Revelation to the Gospels. So, what, so here's a, another illustration of what John T. was saying. Daniel in chapter 5, the bleakest time, had these two visions. Not one, but two visions. He had chapter 7, this glorious vision of the Son of Man. He also had chapter 8, which was three years after the first vision, that's recorded in chapter 7. 
And he knew that in the bleakest of times, God was sovereign. He had these two visions. Does that help us? Does that help us teach and preach on the reality of what it's like to live as a believer in obscurity? I think it does. Now, we'll wonder, are we able to do that? And, uh, or do we have to wait till three weeks on Sunday to get to that? Let's talk about that later. Here's another example, chapter 6. So if you look at chapter 6, verse 1 in your Bibles, chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Darius is the leader of the Medo-Persian Empire, the overthrowers of Babylon. How do we know? Verse 30 of chapter 5, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. It's a, a summary justice, isn't it? The writing on the wall, the same night he's dead. Not only is he dead, the whole kingdom falls to the Medo-Persians. So chapter 6 is the first year of Darius. Now, just flick forward to chapter 9, well into the second half. In the first year, this is verse 1, of Darius. So it's a prayer recorded in chapter 9. In chapter 6, we learn all about Daniel's consistency. And one aspect of his consistency is, you know that classic verse, here's the application for today, just do what you've always done. Daniel did what he always did three times a day. He got down on his knees and he prayed, looking out of his window towards Jerusalem, towards Zion. What was he praying in the first year of Darius? I think, I think I'm persuaded that he was praying what the book records in chapter 9. He was reading Jeremiah. He knew that the exile would come to an end, and so he was praying for that. And as we saw yesterday, um, and if you weren't here, you can catch up on the, uh, the audio or the video. He was praying according to Jeremiah about the exile coming to the end. But Jeremiah, at the point when it says the exile will end, also says lots about the new covenant in Christ. And the way that chapter 9 works itself out, he's praying confession of sin. And the vision in chapter 9, verses 20 to 27, is all about the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Put chapters 6 and 9 together, because they are together in Daniel's book. What is chapter 6 about? Resurrection. What is chapter 9 about? The death of the Messiah. And what is the content of the prayer in chapter 9? Repent and believe. There's the gospel beautifully expressed in the heart of of this book of Daniel. Resurrection, chapter 6, chapter 9. Let me just show you that in chapter 9 if you're not convinced. Uh, let me give you one verse in chapter 9. Verse 24, I think, would be a good one. This is the vision after his prayer. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to steal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That is a, an exposition of the death of uh, Christ. And chapter 6 is uh, an exposition of the resurrection of uh, Daniel. But Daniel is at his, 
the typology of Christ in Daniel is at its strongest in chapter 6. You know, as John Tate was reminding us, uh, Darius is like Pilate. He goes into the den. Uh, you know, there's a stone put over. And after three, he comes out in the stone. And so you get in chapter 6, chapter 9, that Daniel fuses together resurrection and the death of Christ. I think that's marvelous. And that would be enough to make me believe the Bible is the Word of God. And let's throw our lot in with Jesus. Now, we're on 10 to 12, and we've got 35 minutes. How many of you have preached Daniel 10, 11, and 12? Okay, slightly more worrying than yesterday. I mean that more of you have preached it. <laughs> okay, uh, how are we going to do it? In, uh, we're going to try. Okay, um, 10 to 12, look at, uh, it's one vision. Yeah, one vision. And when you preach a chapter of the Bible, that's hard enough. When you preach three chapters, it's even harder. And you can't do that. You'd have to split it up. But you've got to remember it's one vision. It's a coherent vision. It's got a bit here that lifts your eyes to heaven. Then it's got a bit that talks about what's happening. And then it's got a bit about the last day when you will be raised out of your grave. So you've got to get that big sweep and yet hone in on the details. And what we'll do at the end of our time for the last 15 minutes is just walk through the details of chapter 12. We've not done that much of that, but just look at the actual precise things that it says. So it's one vision. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, now people get confused between who Cyrus is and who Darius is. Some commentators suggest they are the same person. They're not. Darius is a Mede. Cyrus is a Persian, and it was a Medo-Persian empire. Cyrus is the big cheese. Belshazzar is the kind of regent who rules over Babylon. The third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that is after the decree was issued to return the exiles to Jerusalem. So the last vision, chapters 10, 11, and 12, is post-exile. Why is it post-exile? I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Um, I think one uh, helpful and plausible application is that it's relevant, way beyond the book of Daniel, and uh, relevant uh, to us. Daniel 10, 11, and 12. Now, it begins in chapter 10, verse 1, through to 11, verse 1, of um, a vision of uh, an angelic, no, a divine being, and I'll tell you who I think it is, and you can think about that, um, and the reality of spiritual warfare. The reality of spiritual warfare between the time of Daniel and not until the coming of the Messiah, but until the return of the Messiah. So we are living in the realm of spiritual warfare still. It's a different dynamic because the victory has been won at the cross, but the devil fights on. The enemies of God are not yet his footstool. Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4. That one day will happen and one day will come. Chapter 10 is this vision of this divine being and spiritual warfare, and then all the way through chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 12 is uh, from that point in history, 530-odd BC, when this vision 
uh, when, when Daniel, uh, no, uh, yeah, 537 BC, it's a couple of years after the exile. From there all the way through to Antiochus, remember him from chapter 8? He's there again in chapter 11. And then towards the end of chapter 11, you think, well, is he talking about Antiochus? I don't understand this bit, that bit is, but it becomes this, it's a bit like the fourth beast in Daniel. It's like a type of the Antichrist. And, and then you get to the end of chapter 11, and then chapter 12 is right at the end. Now, boom, that's fast. Daniel 10, 11, and 12 is, is like a trailer of the book of Revelation. So think of the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 the vision of Christ. Daniel 10, I'm going to suggest to us, is a vision of Christ. Revelation, chapters 4 through 20, the history of the world from the time of Christ. Now in Daniel, we get it from the time of Daniel. The history of the world from the time of Christ, all the opposition, all the spiritual warfare, the dragon, the beasts, and then the end of Revelation is like the end of Daniel, the new heavens and the new earth. So, so Daniel 10 to 12 is like a mini version of Revelation uh, in the uh, Old uh, Testament. Now, let's read Daniel 10. And uh, remember the interpretative principles I gave you. Uh, trust your instincts. Who is this person in Daniel 10, this man clothed in linen? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until three weeks were over." Now, that's a little bit like the intro to chapter 9. There's a seriousness to this man's praying, a real serious earnestness. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, and, and that's typical of the book of Daniel. We're not talking vague generalities. On that day, when I was standing there, I looked up in my vision, and there before me was a man dressed in linen. Now, who is this man? With a belt of the finest gold around his waist. Now, I've already suggested this parallels Revelation 1. I think it's, this is a Christ. It's a kind of pre-incarnate vision of Christ. And I'm fully convinced that can happen. It may be that the figure in the furnace was Christ. It may not be. Did, uh, did you kind of lean that way yesterday? Yeah, it was Jesus. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's slightly ambiguous in chapter 3. There's an angel in the den. But this is not ambiguous. How do we know it's not ambiguous? Because the Bible interprets the Bible. And Revelation 1 mirrors this description. Okay? 
I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold round his waist. Now, you'll recognize this from Revelation 1. His body was like crystallite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, the arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. There's also in this vision and in Revelation 1 a little bit of a reminder of that massive statue that crumbled to the ground. And remember that Jesus Christ is a man. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's a man in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar was a man. That statue was of a man or a human being. Christ was a man. Think of Psalm 8, the second man, the second Adam. I, Daniel, was the only one, verse 7, who saw this vision. It's a bit like the Apostle Paul. Only he heard. But everyone else was kind of overwhelmed. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw this vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at the great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deadly pale, and I was helpless. As it would be, as it will be, when we first meet Jesus on the last day. I fell in a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up uh, uh, trembling. And just think of what Jonty was saying in the last session. When we feel at our most beleaguered in ministry and we are lying, sometimes physically lying, prone on the floors of our studies, despairing of what we are trying to do, under God, and we need a vision like this where we're touched by an angelic being and the Word of God comes alive to us and we get up and we stand up and we hear these words, do not be afraid. So it's the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Now, what's that all about? We've heard all about the Medo-Persian kingdom in Daniel 7 and in Daniel 8, and we're going to hear about it in Daniel 11. And, and, and what, is, what is behind this worldly power, the prince of the Persian kingdom? Who is that? Who is the prince of worldly power? It's what Revelation calls uh, the serpent. It's uh, Satan. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained with the king of Persia. I mean, that's spiritual warfare. And uh, Christ always wins, but the battle is fierce. It's actually helpful for us to see that. It's a fierce battle. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, 
and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly uh, breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Now, it's hard, I think, in chapter 10 to work out exactly how many characters there are. There. I think there are two. I think there's an angelic being and there's the Son of Man. And I'm not absolutely certain how they work and relate in the passage, but I am convinced that the Son of Man is there in this vision, steadying Daniel. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will turn to fight against the prince of Persia. But when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now, you might be hanging on with your fingertips at this point. That was a big sneeze. You might be hanging on me. What's going on here? And you might be thinking, oh, this is, I hope you're thinking it's kind of marvelous, but I don't really, I, can't, I couldn't explain this. You've got to have to work at this. Pray through this. Work at it. Write it out. Write it out. Preach it. Preach it. Wrestle with it. It doesn't come easily. But, but what we're being told here, think of the big vision in chapter 7, all the way forward in, in, in human history, the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, then that narrow focus in chapter 8 in the dark times, then in chapter 9, 20 to 27, the vision that takes you from the time of Daniel through the 77s to the time of Christ and his death at uh, Calvary. And now we're about to go back at the start of chapter 11 from the time of Daniel right through, right through, through the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, this Antichrist in the second century, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 11, a type of the Antichrist through all of history. And at the start of that, we get this vision, because this is scary stuff. This is all ahead. And we are living in this, a vision of the Son of Man who touches us. And there's almost a touch to those of us in ministry. And he says to us, stand up, stand up, stand up. And with that, stand up against the kingdoms of this world. With all the wisdom and irenic nature of a Daniel. And do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And chapter 10 is not only a vision of the Son of Man. It is a powerful uh, explanation of until the Lord Jesus returns. And yes, the dynamic changes in this through his death at Calvary, but there will still be and there still is spiritual warfare. So go to one of the great New Testament letters on the doctrine of the church like Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, I think, God's plan is in the fullness of time to unite all things under his Son. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, God's plan now is to unite all things in local churches scattered all over the world is a prototype of heaven. And these local churches in Northern Ireland and Scotland and England and all over the world will be in this dynamic 
Because when you reveal the wisdom of God, and you reveal the wisdom of God in your church just by being a church, it's an outpost of heaven. You will make a statement, Ephesians 3 something, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who are they? Chapter 6, verse 10, the spiritual forces of evil. For we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the likes of the prince of Persia and the prince of this world. We fight a defeated serpent, Revelation, Satan. But when you wound a poisonous snake, that snake is deadly. But when it bites you, it cannot kill you. Now, that's a whole other line of biblical theology. Now, okay, so we get to chapter 11, the hardest chapter in Daniel to preach, so we're not going to do it. One of you said to me, what are you going to preach at the end of the conference? You're going to have a go at Daniel 11? And I said, no. And I said, brother, have you ever had a go at it? And he said, no, I haven't had a go at any of Daniel. So I said, well, there you go. (laughs) Now, Daniel 11 is hard to teach because it's full of, and I'm not going to read it, it's full of detail. The way I would teach it is I would talk people through, um, you can read it later, and it it, it all focuses in on the the Medo-Persians and then Alexander the Great and the four generals, yet the four generals and... Uh, the Seleucids and the Ptolemaic dynasties in Daniel 11, they're called kings of the north, kings of the south. Um, and uh, um, so the wave of tiredness. <laughs> Which book of the Bible are we in? Daniel. Um, like Daniel, I'm kind of overwhelmed uh, and, and w- struck by these visions. Uh, and you get the kings of the north and the kings of the south, and it's all to do with intrigue, and it's all like, it's all like watching Sky News of politics in our country. That's exactly what it is. And of course, the last two years of politics in the West are just Chaos. Look at the U.S. at the moment. What's going on there again? Now, what I would do is I would teach Daniel 11 this way. I go back to Daniel 2, just when the congregation's falling asleep, when we're in the wars of the kings of the south and the kings of the north. I go back to Daniel 2. So go back to Daniel 2. And I would uh, I'd pick up one little text that... Um, we never picked up when we preached on, on, on Daniel. When I did it, anyway, we never picked up when we preached. Um, um, where is it? I'm looking for the bit that talks about um, a divided uh, a kingdom. Um, it, 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 in the ESV, it, it talks about the toes of the statue. I mean, it's an odd thing for it to say. It talks about the toes of the statue uh, being in mixed marriages. I mean, it's a very odd thing to say in the vision. You can find that for yourself. Um, the, the NIV speaks in a slightly more generic way. Verse 43. Can you read it from the uh, ESV? Um, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together. Thus, as iron does not mix 
So the ESV talks about, I mean, that's an odd thing in the vision, isn't it? They talk about the toes and marriages and so on and so forth. Now, if you go to chapter 11, there are three examples of uh, when the, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids sought to kind of strike a deal for global domination by marrying different people. And that's exactly what happened in history. And it all went horribly wrong and they all poisoned each other and uh, everybody fell out and there was just boom. That's how I would teach Daniel 11 and show them the links between the chapters. And then I would focus on um, the back end of Daniel 11. Um, and you'll see there, if you've got an NIV Bible, the title is The King Who Exalts Himself. Um, if you've got an NIV Bible, that's before verse 36. I would remove that title and move it slightly further back because um, one section back, verse 25 and onwards, is Antiochus, the king who exalts himself. And I would retitle verse 36 and onwards, uh, the type of king who exalts himself. So I think, I think the vision goes all the way through to Antiochus in the second century, and that's very much at the heart of the vision in chapter 8, as we saw, but then it expands to all those who oppose God's people anti-Christ. Okay, which brings us uh, for our last kind of word on Daniel, and we've done well to get to Daniel 12 by 12, 14 on a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was saying to Sally on the phone last night, you, that's my wife, do you think we could get the whole congregation together for two days to do Daniel? She said no. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's a huge benefit to be saturated in something. And we've got to go back, and if we preach this in our church, it'll take that 14 weeks. But here we are. Um, and Daniel didn't have it like we've had it. He had it all of his lifetime. That's real, isn't it? I was going to say that the real world is not like ministers' conferences. But, I, I, you know, I've certainly experienced among us as a group real fellowship. I wish church was like this. Singing and stuff. Okay, chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince. And I think this is the last bit of the last days. Who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happen from the beginning of nations until then. Now, that is a, a strong Bible text for the view that would be backed up by, I guess, 2 Thessalonians, 1 John, that there, there, there is at the time of the end, just before Christ returns, some kind of dominant global uh, antichrist or power. Power. It might be an individual, it might be a philosophy, it might be a, an ism. And I don't think, living at the 21st century, that it's impossible for us to conceive of that happening. Partly in a mass. Now, we've never gone near in our studies of Daniel, who is the beast, is, you know, we've never gone near that because we can't. But I think we can conceive of the plausibility with our globally connected world. We just had a global pandemic. We can have global ideology. We could have global domination. I mean, 
read a book about what the, the vision of Xi Jinping is as he opens up the silk roads of the world. That's global vision. At that time, and, and is that opposed to God? So, we, we th- so anti-Christ or anti-God is one thing, and that is true in many parts of the world and in our culture outside the kingdom of God. But it's not just anti. It's either anti or other than. So it's the world without God, indifferent to the people of God. Or the world without God that's not indifferent to the people of God, against the people of God. At that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. That's got to be the book of life in Revelation. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Daniel 6. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now there's the gospel. There are two ways to live, there are two ways to die, and there are two eternities with God in the new creation or apart from God in everlasting judgment in hell. Those who are wise, now we're back into the present, yep, those who are wise, like Daniel, chapter 2, Daniel exercised wisdom. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, And those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars, forever and ever. I trained in Edinburgh in New College, which is part of the University of Edinburgh. And in the little chapel in New College, there's a text written all the way around the walls of this little chapel. And it's this verse, those who are wise will shine like the stars of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, there's the vocation of the Christian pastor. Shine like the brightness. How do you shine like the brightness of the heavens? By immersing yourself in the Word of God and growing in your knowledge and likeness to Jesus. And lead many to righteousness. And that's a great choice of word. It is not lead many to justification. It is lead many to righteousness, which is justification, sanctification, and help them all the way to glorification. And we've got to invest in our people for their lives as Christians, not just for their... uh, justification. As for you, Daniel, verse 4, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Now, at that point, the book should end, but it doesn't. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on the bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, 
the Lord Jesus, I think. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. Um, very rarely in the Bible does a divine figure lift one hand to swear an oath. Twice in the Bible, a divine figure lifts two hands to swear uh, an oath. This is a big moment in salvation uh, history. Lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever. I heard him swear before God, the Ancient of Days, Daniel 7, how long will it be? <laughs> what a great answer. It'll be for a time, times, and half a time. In other words, stop. Don't start devoting your ministry to working out how long that is. Trust me, it is set, it is defined, and it will happen. Don't write a book trying to work out all the numbers. It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. I think that may well be a reference to the Antichrist at the end of days. I heard, but I did not understand. Let's not fall into the trap of thinking because we are New Covenant believers with the full canon of Scripture that we understand everything. There are things in this book we do not understand. But there are things that we are absolutely clear on. <laughs> so I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of this be? Daniel, go on your way. Go back to your parish. Go back to your church. Because I'm not going to give you any more vision. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. There's a little insight into the paradox of the human heart that cannot understand unless there is divine revelation given. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation that will be set up, there will be 1,290 days Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the... Why that reference to the abomination that causes desolation at the end of Daniel? That takes you back to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes when he, uh, uh, when he profaned the temple. And I think, I think why that reference at the end of the book? Because that was a terrible time. And he's reminding Daniel that there will be terrible times ahead. And there might be a terrible time at the end. And then this uh, wonderful conclusion to the book. And a wonderful conclusion to our time in Daniel. To every one of us in ministry. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. Or you'll lie down in your grave. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your inheritance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this marvelous book.
full of rich, rich things. Thank you, Lord, for the familiar and the unfamiliar. And in truth, many of the narratives are unfamiliar because often they, they remain in our minds and in the minds of our people, our congregations, as children's stories, perhaps. But they are, they are grown-up material. They are big, big stories. And we are in that story. And the visions that Daniel received are also visions that we receive through your word. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for his inspiration. Thank you that you used him so mightily and so helpfully. But help us to remember that much of what we learn in the book of Daniel is consistency, steadiness. And may we all hear these words. Go your way till the end. And then you will rise to be with Christ forever. Keep us going. Keep us faithful. And may our congregations know just how much we love and are loyal to Jesus. And all this we ask in his name and for his dear name's sake. Amen. Nima.